don't mess up you well, we can I can just start. Three knobs and none seem to do anything. That's the super oh, lean back. The lever on the right. This one? I already got Oh, oh it's like a rotating one. That's interesting. Yeah. All design choice. Alright. Kurt, are you good to get started? I see you zooming in on me, so. Sure. I'm assuming that's, that's my cue. Alright. Well, welcome everybody to the. May 1st edition of the Multimodal Transportation Commission monthly meeting. As always, we start with the 5 p.m. study session. And the topic for this one is coma training, Kansas Open meeting exact. Yes. I don't think we need to bother to take attendance until the real one, right? No, we don't. I'll just run through the housekeeping items so we can do it once here. So um, this meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you're not speaking. The chat function for the public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to staff. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you're participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send us a chat. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. And with that, we'll begin with the coma training. Let's do it. And I'll have to go come up here and run through the slides here. <coughs> So um, every once in a while, it's a good reminder for our boards to run through uh, the Kansas Open Meetings Act, or what we refer to as COMA. Um, and there's a state statute that uh, provides guidelines on uh, COMA. And so um, this is an open meetings principle. and Okay, so you're sharing screen. Thank you. And uh, the open meetings principle is based on the belief that the people have a right to know the public business and uh, that information is essential to the effective functioning of our democratic process. Um, the purpose of Roma. Uh, in recognition of the fact that a representative government is dependent upon an informed electorate, it is declared to be the policy of this state that meetings for the conduct of governmental affairs and the transaction of governmental business is open to the public. So uh, COMA applies when the body involved is a covered entity and that there is a meeting. 
So it applies to the Multimodal Transportation Commission. Yeah, the body subject to the act all applies to all legislative and administrative bodies, state agencies, and political and taxing subdivisions, as well as advise, city advisory boards. Um, these are which receive or expend and are supported in whole or in part by public funds. So the, the definition of a meeting here, three conditions must be met for a meeting to occur. So we'll cont continue on uh, discussing the conditions that are met for a meeting. Um, all three of these must be present. Um, a gathering of a majority of the members of the body uh, interactive communication applies, so that's either in person, by telephone, by telephone, or any other medium. Um, and discussion of the business or affairs of the body. And so in reference to being the majority of the membership as it applies to this board, uh, for the nine-member MMTC, a majority of the membership uh, of the body is uh, five members. Hey, Dave. In the past, when yes. we've had committees and subcommittees, um, we've usually stuck to something like three members, and then the chair kind of counts as the nominal f uh, fourth member. It seems that we were maybe doing a margin of error, or is there another reason that we kept it to a smaller amount of people? Is that just because lack of participation? Yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, for most of our committees, we've tried to have two and no more than three. Um, but, yeah, we would need to be careful if you had more than it would constitute as a meeting. So some of our subcommittee work were able to meet, you know, with less than five members. Um, and it not be constituted as a, an open meeting. But um, so there may be instances where before we've had four members, but not five. But uh, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> I, think, I mean, to me, three feels pretty comfortable. Yeah. Four starts to feel a little bit like. Because four is the maximum, which I, I didn't yeah. think about until Dave said it. Like, yeah, that makes sense. That's why we've had three and then yeah. one, one more. So. And especially right now, we have um, currently seven members. There's uh, one that is uh, on city commission for recommendation tomorrow night, which would bring us eight. But even even with having less than nine members, right now we have seven. It would still, uh, five would still need to apply, the five rule. So even oh. if there's vacant positions, it's not the majority of the positions filled. It's the majority of the total number of positions. So That's interesting. Okay. Um, interactive communications, so um, this act applies when there is interactive communication and it clearly applies when members are in f uh, physical presence of one another. Uh, telephone calls including conference calls, it applies. Work sessions, staff briefings, video conferencing, and online communications. So when there's a, or is the opportunity for contemporaneous interaction and that that includes emails as well, so that's why we <clears throat> uh, always remind 
everyone to not reply to all uh, the emails because those could turn into uh, a violation um, if if uh, something was being discussed and interactive discussion occurred. Um, number three, discussing the business of the body. Uh, discussion of public business is what triggers the application of coma. Uh, a vote or binding action is not necessary for coma to apply. Uh, social gatherings are not subject to coma if there is no discussion of the business uh, of the body. Um, and conferences may be attended by board members where items of general interest are discussed as long as specific business of the body is not discussed by a majority of the Transportation Commission. So if the city were to hold a, um, a public meeting um, or, or a workshop or something that was open to the public and you know, multiple, a majority of the, the MMTC attended but were not you know, interacting with each other, if they were just in attendance, it wouldn't necessarily be a criminal violation because there's not a discussion going on amongst the members. We do try to disclose to the public when there's going to be a majority of the uh, commission in attendance uh, for things that are outside of uh, meetings, but that, that doesn't occur very often. <clears throat> uh, some more here on electronic communications. The Attorney General has indicated that the mere fact that a communication is electronic does not raise a coma issue. Uh, if a majority of the body uses an electronic communication to engage in interactive discussions, that contact then may raise a coma issue. So a single email sent to other members would likely not be considered a violation, but participation in online chat room or instant messaging may be considered a violation of coma because of its interactive nature. Uh, simultaneous Facebook posts by board members concerning the business of the body can constitute a meeting under coma. So in a 2020 example, the uh, Kansas Attorney General found that a majority of board members posting back and forth on social media uh, or any other medium about a recent governing body vote engaged in a meeting, even though it was merely a discussion. So the takeaway is that it is important to keep in mind that the use of advanced technology can directly affect compliance with these important state laws. Uh, members are encouraged to act with caution when posting on Facebook or other social media and to be mindful of whether other members are also commenting as engaging in a discussion with a majority in any format may likely constitute a violation of COMA. So emails, uh, please avoid initiating an online discussion with fellow advisory boards through email. Uh, you may receive emails about a city matter in which other advisory board members are also sent or copied on the email and avoid the reply all function. Serial meetings. So a series of interactive communications of less than a majority is not permitted under coma. 
a violation of coma may occur if the communications one collectively involve a majority of the membership of the body share a common topic of discussion concerning business or affairs of the body and are intended by any or all of the participants to reach agreement on a matter that would require binding action to be taken by the body or agency. So re review, COMA applies when the body involved is a covered entity and there is a meeting uh, which includes the majority of the membership of the body and interactive communication and members discuss the business of the body. Um, so COMA requires that all meetings of entity, entities covered by COMA must be open to the public and proper notice must be given. Uh, meetings are open to the public, so meetings must be held in places accessible to the general public, and meetings must be conducted so the public may observe or listen to the proceedings. So regarding notice, that notice of the date, time, and place of any regular or special meeting must be given to any person requesting such notice. COMA does not require notice to be given within any particular time frame. And notice must first be requested before a body is required to provi provide it. Agendas. Uh, COMA does not require an agenda be created if a body creates one, it should include the topics planned for discussion. Uh, agendas can be amended. And if agendas exist, copies must be available to those who request them. I have a question about that one. Mm -hmm. So when we are, we typically have an agenda and then our, you know, it's announced ahead of time but when we are like in the commission items area or when we just decide somehow to add something into the agenda, do we have, are we allowed to do that or do we have to like put that on a future agenda to vote on it? Yeah, um, anything that is being voted on uh, should be on the agenda. Um, I know we've had some discussions come up side discussions come up in um, under commission items and I think that is all right to bring an issue up um, because we're not voting on it in yeah because you're not voting on it or have, maybe we have voted sometimes like you know, we voted to authorize the chair to write a letter yeah and like does that what I'm hearing you say is we don't even need an agenda but if we do have one it needs to be available to others yeah I mean, this, this isn't quite on the slides, but... but if it can be amended. If, mm. yeah. It doesn't say when. <laughs> I guess if it's amended in real time and captured on the minutes, it doesn't appear from the slides at least that that would violate anything. 
That's what I'm hearing. I just was curious if that is your, does that seem? From my experience and on the political side, coma is very much a circumstantial thing. It, yeah, uh, we're, okay, we're okay doing that. that I, I think so. Yeah, and I think that's where it says it should include the topics planned for discussion. So mm -hmm. it might be different than shall, but yeah, we really would, you know, just to be open to the public, we don't want to have discussions that the public are not aware of or have the opportunity to come and comment on. So I know there's, especially, you know, we've had discussions with a letter of support, I think, um, before that may have come up and wasn't on the agenda and maybe it was a time sensitive issue but um so it's a good practice for us to make sure that we put things on the agenda and if there's something that can needs to be added or agenda can be amended we can do that at the meeting so i think technically that can be done okay thank you Executive sessions. Uh, these are meetings that are closed to the public, which and are only permitted in limited circumstances. Um, city advisory boards should not have an executive session without the prior approval of the city's attorney's office, and um, this board has not had uh, an executive session before. Um, but um, those are. Uh, permitted in limited circumstances and certain procedures must be followed and only certain tops topics may be discussed and so those are usually items that uh, involve the city attorney's office and client attorney privileges uh, possible ramifications for violations of coma requirements uh, the attorney general or the district attorney investigates potential coma violations uh, the Attorney General has stated that his office seeks compliance with the Act and his office wants to assure future violations do not occur. They may require the body to receive additional COMA training. In uh, 2015, changes to the Act provide the Attorney General with new enforcement authority and creates an open government fund. Uh, the AG can determine by a preponderance of the evidence Coma violations. If violations are found, the AG can enter into a consent order with public agencies and may apply to district court to enforce a consent order. The consent order may impose civil pen penalties up to $250 per violation, require training, uh, district court action may impose court costs, investigative, and attorney fees if the AG must enforce compliance through district court. Uh, the AG may also enter into a consent judgment with a violator, which may contain a, any remedy available to the court. Uh, invalidation of actions and removal from office. And with that, if there's ever any questions, uh, you can contact me and I would uh, then refer the question to the uh, city attorney's office if it wasn't something that we've 
discussed before. So there's the number for the office if there's any questions and uh, appreciate your attention to this important law. Um, we do, we haven't had any uh, coma violations with this board um, since it's been formed, so that's a good thing. And um, it's been a couple years since we go have gone over this, so we just like to go over it every once in a while to, to remind uh, folks of coma. Any questions? Thanks for the presentation. <laughs> it's really yep. formative. Well, I suppose that leaves us with 40 minutes in the study session that we hadn't planned on. Um, <laughs> well, I'm not really sure what to do at this point, so. Do we just take a break for 40 minutes to come back? Because I, I mean, given that the agenda needs to be set ahead of time, we can't really just start. So yeah, that would be unfair to people. Yep, we to need watch. to start the regular agenda at 6:15. So exactly. if there's no questions, we can adjourn the meeting and start the regular meeting at 6:15. Yeah. Any public comment on coming? <laughs> Nobody's online anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. All right. We'll just adjourn then. Sounds All good. Right. I'll just open and look through the agenda see if there's anything to like talk about drafts or something. Today. Kurt, are you good to go? Sure. All right. Well, welcome everybody back to the, the regular agenda portion of the May 1st Multimodal Transportation Commission meeting. We, um, have already had our study session and we've had the ground rules, so I think we can just jump right into approval of the minutes, right? Okay. Any comments or questions or proposed revisions to the minutes from April? If not, I'll entertain a motion. I move to approve the MMTC minutes from Monday, April 3rd, 2023. Um, motion by Commissioner Bryan, second by Commissioner Reza. Favor, uh, raise your hand. It's unanimous. All right, that moves us into the general public comment portion. I'll just go over the ground rules real quick. The public is allowed to speak to any items or issues that are not scheduled on the regular agenda. Public comment will not be received for staff items, commission items, or calendar. Each person or organization will be limited to three minutes. As a general practice, the commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission make decisions on items presented at this time. Individuals are asked to come to the microphone, sign in, and state their name and address. Speakers should address all comments to the commission. Do we have anybody online who wants to make a general public comment? Doesn't look like it. Okay. And there's nobody in the room. So with that, I'm going to move on to our agenda items. First one is uh, consideration of approval of the 2023 MMTC work plan. So. Yes, yeah, so we've attached <clears throat> the draft of the work plan um, as uh, discussed at the uh, April meeting. And so 
Um, we're looking for approval of it and see if there's any questions we can answer on it. So Jessica's on as well. If there's any questions on some of the planning related activities that are going to be upcoming here in this year. Jessica, would you mind giving us a brief summary of what you changed? My goodness, you're asking me to recall that from. Sorry. <laughs> um, sure. So I think the overall, as we talked about um, this work plan, we really honed in on the fact of drawing attention to the things that um, were really in alignment with the things that staff have on the work plan uh, for 2023, whether that be planning or projects or policy implementation um, already. And so many of the, I think, study session or agenda item topics as we think about that relate to each of kind of the objectives that you've set. And so I would say, I'll just highlight a few things that I think were key things that I took away as key things from um, the topic uh, the discussion last month. Um, as we think about transportation decision-making, I heard that you really wanted to see um, how and mo can monitor and understand how community engagement and data played into like the, a street maintenance plan and a longer-term street maintenance plan, like a five-year street maintenance plan. Um, you had interest in obviously participating in, in the subcommittees like bicycle wayfinding and also uh, continuing to follow up and understanding we put together all the data on the dashboard around key performance measures and other performance measure data out of multimodal transportation planning. Um, and that has been posted on your transportation resource page also. So draw your attention to that. Again, um, we notified you after we posted that. Um, in relationship to thinking about climate and transportation, we recognize there's work on climate action planning and the city's efforts around Envision framework. And you wanted to learn more about those things. Um, we want to continue to elevate equity um, in, trans in transportation decision making. And so you want to learn more about what the city is doing at large um, and continue to review equity impact statements on agendas related to items. Um, you have thinking about measures. Again, I'll take you back to here's the links, all the links that we posted on your resource dashboard um, that has all the information you have. And then we know there's an upcoming item about reviewing boards and structures report um, related to the boards and commissions recommendation that uh, will occur that's underway. Um, and finding out and understanding more about that. And you'll see kind of in the actions there, neighborhood traffic management, we felt really fit into driving some of those metrics. So we put it as an activity there. Um, back to the other topic of connecting transportation and land use, just like climate, um, you have a role in the land use, land development code update process, um, and you asked for a review of engineering design standards and bikeway design options. And so you'll see that as an item on, you know, on a future agenda. Um, and then we think about safety and comfort for multimodal transportation. Um, you had a bunch of conversation about safe routes to school, but I think decided really there wasn't too, too much activity. You are going to see the safe routes to school update that we're planning to bring you in response to the USD 497's um, 
boundary changes um, and participate. You'll participate in the Vision Zero Safety Action Plan. We're working with the MPO to establish a committee. So we'll come back to you to appoint um, some representation on that. Um, and then you you talked a little bit about hosting a your you your turn public listening session um, in this area around safe and comfortable transportation. Um, we updated. You have your committee work list here based on your active committees and the places where you think you'll be working this year. That's kind of summarizes where the notes I had on um, my version that I edited for you based on our conversation last month. Thank you. That was really helpful. I um, I realized that I, I probably could have done a better job of looking at 2022 and 23 side by side, but um, it was much more helpful to hear the high points of what it was that we discussed because it's amazing how much I can forget from month to month. Okay, um, now having been given a great summary of what has changed and what's kind of been highlighted in this new plan, any comments, last minute proposals for change, I guess, before we um, codify this thing? I don't know what the right word is. I mean, it oh, looks great. Yeah, it looks to me like all of our conversations were essentially integrated here, so. I think we're good. Cool. Well, in that case, I would to approve it. I move to approve the 2023 MMTC work plan. Okay. I'll second that. Or do you want to second? No, nope, that's right. <laughs> right. Motion by Commissioner Reza with a second by Commissioner Bryan. All in favor, raise their hand. All right. That's unanimous. All right. Moving on to the 2023 Neighborhood Traffic Management Program budget. I'll go ahead and get started. I didn't have any attachments, but... Um, so, you know, consider approving the 2023 Neighborhood Traffic Management Program budget. Um, so we have 300,000 uh, total allocated for the program for this year. And so this is more of a, a line by line breakdown of, of where we intend to spend that. Um, obviously the, the biggest chunk is the first two items associated with the Old West Lawrence traffic calming project. Uh, we received approval from city commission on April 18th to move ahead into the design phase for the permanent installations. And so that the first item is, is uh, to cover the consultant contract for engineering design for the, the permanent install. And then the, the next, the second item is the um, construction cost for the, I guess the first uh, year of the um, permanent installations we, we did as we talked here before break the construction into two years just to help spread that cost impact over the two years of the program budget. Uh, estimated construction cost for the, the first year is 175000 So we've got a little uh, contingency in there from our, our program budget to make sure we can do what we, what we said we're going to do. Uh, next item is data collection. Uh, 
supplies and subscriptions. So this this is for all of the uh, traffic data collection equipment we've purchased over the years through the program. Um, um, I think all of the equipment we have has almost real-time uh, data availability, and so those require you know cellular data fees to to facilitate that. And then a couple of the um, vendors have you know dashboards that we have to to pay to maintain access to. Uh, next is uh, printing. And the, the biggest piece of this, I intend to uh, reorder some of the yard signs from the public outreach campaign we did a couple years ago. Those were by far the, the highest demand item that we had with the, with the campaign. And, and so we distributed all of those in 2021 and have had pretty consistent requests for uh, additional yard signs. So I wanna replenish that stock so we have them available uh, when people ask for them. And the next item is our SS4A uh, local match. So we were awarded the, the Safe Streets and Roads for All grant to develop our Vision Zero Safety Action Plan. And um, so, I'm, so the the big number from SS4A was 160,000, uh, and then uh, KDOT is providing 30,000 and then we'll have a 10,000 local match for a total of 200 and and that'll be spent on uh, professional services hiring a consultant to do the bulk of that work in developing the the safety action plan um, I guess a little status update on that while we're on the topic is uh, again we, we were awarded the grant we're uh, uh, still currently waiting on our we're getting a new contact with FHWA, and so that's, I think, delayed the uh, process of having a kickoff meeting with them. And then there's an agreement that we would need to execute with them. And then uh, we can have an RFP ready to go to, to, to get a consultant on board, but need to establish that contact with FHWA before, before that. And so I think that just leaves the last item is the uh, we had some money left. Uh, tried to do some targeted enforcement again this year, um, and and I did. Uh, I guess attend the KDOT Transportation Safety Conference last week, and and I intentionally uh, reconnected with uh, members of our uh, police department that were also at the conference and restarted those conversations about enforcement and and what we can do because they're they're still challenge with their capacity to do it but there is interest on both sides of, of restarting doing what we can so I wanted to have have some budget available for whatever we can do there cool well I think that covers all the, the line items um, I know typically we bring kind of a work plan with the with the budget but uh, most of the the budget was spoken for with Old West Lawrence so that's going to be the bulk of the the work plan and and the um, safety action plan will be kind of parallel to the the neighborhood traffic management program um, anticipating that those uh, efforts will, will probably be more focused on the the arterial streets the more major streets where the neighborhood traffic management program is focused on the local residential streets but you know same goal for both to improve safety 
Uh, uh, sorry, Dustin, I didn't get to the first part of that sentence. What did you say is more, more focused on the arterials? Uh, I guess we would anticipate that the, uh, the say, streets and roads for all okay. um, would, would um, I, I forget the term they use, but the, the areas of concern that are identified from the data would be prioritized on the, the more major uh, streets. Okay, makes sense. Cool. I have a couple of questions. Um, I thought I remembered that in discussing the Old West Lawrence implementation that it was gonna be a two-year phased uh, implementation. And so I was curious about, is this budget the whole implementation or the the 200 and then the 50,000 is that um, the whole implement, implementation for Old West Lawrence or is that not spread out over two years it's 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 a little bit of both I can clarify so the uh, the first the item the design um, we would do all the design this year with that 50,000 mm -hmm. and then the 200,000 is the construction for the first year. And so we would anticipate, you know, next year's budget. I uh, think the remainder of construction is estimated at 131,000 that we would uh, be showing for the 2024 budget. Okay. So that in, in So basically that means that a second uh, project wouldn't begin for two more years, three more years. It'd be next next year, <clears throat> next 2024. Okay. So with the dollars this year, we were doing the speed humps and the chicanes, the chicanes and then the traffic circles would be funded out of next year's plan. But I meant a second neighborhood, I guess. A oh, second a second R neighborhood. RFP. For, yeah. So um, not in the works for another two years. It. It may be in the works before two years, maybe two years before we do another construction project. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 25. Given how long it took, it does seem like, <clears throat> you know, it would, <clears throat> if we wait until the construction's over before we start the next process, that would, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Mm -hmm. So maybe. Because, because yeah. implementation would be, <laughs> you know, 20, 27 yeah. or something like that before mm -hmm. actually get it going. I mean, hopefully the second one won't take as long as the first based on lessons learned, but I'm yeah, I think sure we need to update our seeing a way to speed that speed that up, you know, if there's a way to trade out money so the you know, the second part of implementation came after the at least the kickoff for a for a new project. Yeah, I think our intentions are to look at the program as it's written and the process and to make any changes we feel are necessary to help maybe better streamline the process and um, and then um, next year start that, you know, discussion for another neighborhood as we finish Old West Lawrence. Mm -hmm. So it could that that could happen towards the end of this year, but with our workload, it may be early next year before that really okay. gets off the ground. Yeah. 
So I think with uh, the work that we're doing with the Safe Streets for All, even though that is kind of mainly more focused on arterial streets or where there's high crashes or severe crashes of fatalities, that um, we're getting a lot of data from KDOT and we're, you know, and some of this data can be used in neighborhoods and we might be able to not just, you know, I think we need to factor in some of the data you know, as we're looking at what neighborhoods maybe to go after and not just, okay, well, this neighborhood applied. And so we need to be thinking about that to how we select a neighborhood and what mm -hmm. the priorities are. And so it's um, things that we're, that we're talking about as we, as this program evolves. Mm -hmm. Okay. I wonder if this year we could, you know, kind of have a placeholder for the your turn and it's in the same row as the safe routes and maybe there's a way to use that to talk like how do we get some feedback from neighborhoods about the approach we're taking to traffic management in their neighborhoods at least it keeps the engagement going while we're still busy trying to you know see the pilot through this year and into next year and maybe we can learn something from just hearing their thoughts on that. Yeah, we did that uh, 2019, 2020, I forget. Been a few years. Was. Yeah, and I, I think what we basically learned was that there used to be some kind of, almost like a petition process, where you'd be like, hey, this is a particularly dangerous intersection and we really think it needs a stop sign, or we think it needs a speed bump. And it was just kind of like, well, that was part like of the, the traffic. traffic safety commission. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that was yeah. basically spot treatments. And I think that... Big backlog. Yeah, exactly. And I think that led to a discussion of like, all right, well, how did this get paid for or approved? And how, how could we perhaps ground source this, this information to get us better data on what, inf you know, intersections are dangerous? Or at least anecdotal evidence, right? Um, I think we discussed something of like almost a you know, small capital projects thing that, that, that could be implemented for that. But I think it was too nebulous of a, of a task that it really didn't get off the ground. That, that's not to say that a new your transition wouldn't be helpful. I think it, it would be to help restart these talks and figure out, now that we have it, the NTMP, where do we go from here? So I would agree with that. Well, because the first time around, uh, we just had one application from a neighborhood as I I thought it was two. Or were there two? Maybe two. two, yeah. It was like, oh, right? So, you know, getting the neighborhoods more um, information about yeah. them and more engaged in thinking about it ahead of the, um, the RFP process. Or, yeah. Exactly. Uh, I think definitely when we have our study session on it this year, I'd like to hear more about the data involved with... Uh, collecting KDOT data and looking at it, but, you know, it's my two cents on it. I know we've got it planned, right, so. Um, I mean, the study session for neighborhood traffic management plan or for right. safe streets for all? lessons learned from the old West Lawrence um, oh, yeah. traffic plan. I think it's a bullet point. Okay. So I think there, especially, we can, I'm you with know. You. Mm -hmm. Is that one of them? Um, I did have a question on... Uh, this agenda item, though. Um, if you don't mind, could you explain what targeted enforcement kind of looks like? If So you mentioned that we don't necessarily do it now, um, or at least we don't have the investment for it now. When was the last time we did, and kind of what is that relationship with LPD, and kind of like why is that like a 
10K number. So we <clears throat> we did it in uh, 2021, which um, at the beginning of, the, of 2021 is when we kind of launched the whole combined program with our, our public outreach education campaign, changed the speed limit, installed 1,025 mile per hour signs, and um, coordinated all that with starting to do what we called targeted enforcement, which uh, I guess before we did the enforcement, we collected data to identify locations that did have a speeding concern. And I just from looking at the data we collected at, at several locations across town, I kind of came up with a threshold of if 10% of the total traffic volume is exceeding the speed limit by 10 miles per hour, that's a good location that that's going to uh, be a good use of our limited enforcement resources. And so, again, we collected data, identified those locations, and then uh, I think it was every other week I met with the uh, patrol sergeant and we went over locations and you know, here, here's the ones we got data on in the past couple weeks that, that show there's a, you know, a, a, a high percentage of the total volume is speeding and or, you know, as we heard through other channels, the um, traffic safety or traffic concern reporting tool, we looked at that together every other week as well and, and just kind of identified hot spots to, to send their guys out when they had time. And, and so why it's a number in here is we pay for it as volunteer overtime from the police officers. So that way, that's, that's all they're required to be doing. It's outside of their normal shift, so they're not you know, expected to be on call for anything else, so they can be doing speed enforcement and we're paying for it directly. So it, it, it works for both sides that way. How, um, how effective was it when we did it in 21? That was probably my biggest lesson learned of the rolling out the combined program was we didn't we didn't have robust enough data to show that effectiveness really clearly it was it wasn't as powerful as I, I would hope and but we did see and so we again collected data at several locations across town but we had I think 16 locations where we did before or after data uh, we did before we did anything so kind of real baseline data and then we did after just installing the new speed limit signs as expected hardly any change there and then we did enforcement on those locations and did another round of after data and varying degrees of success i mean some locations showed you know three to four mile per hour reduction in the in the 85th percentile speed which is notable but there were a couple of locations that didn't have a change after the enforcement so but okay thank you does the money collected from citations reimburse the cost of the <laughs> of the budget <laughs> is it allowed to or is that a very complicated legal maneuver uh it's complicated enough just uh, <laughs> figuring out how to pay the the police yeah. overtime salaries from our program yeah but i'm not sure where the uh, <laughs> revenue from that goes i think the general thing is that it's not so much the penalty that we're interested in is just the kind of more 
I guess, acute enforcement of like, let's just make sure people truly know this is something that you're breaking the law here. And and the officers did it talking to them. They they also really tried to do education right. as they were doing enforcement, especially in the first, I think, six weeks of the enforcement effort. We were focused almost entirely on education. Um, it's like they had, you know, discretion to, to cite whenever they felt the need. But I think in six weeks and I'm not sure how many hours of enforcement we only had I think three citations in the first six weeks of the the education focus and then in the later um, weeks of the the rollout we said okay now you kind of have free reign to use your normal discretion to to Hmm. cite and and I I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head but they were all in the uh, report from the uh, public outreach campaign Mm -hmm. had had some data on how many citations how many hours of enforcement okay actually that made me think of another question so is the data that you know after we do you know provide this investment is that data of how many stops or uh the number like the overall speed or like amount of speeding done right that type of data is that public access is that Mm -hmm. oh okay cool so i guess next year if we need to do this again and again that would be something i would try to correct is is get some some more powerful data to to show that impact for sure thank you just as a quick um i guess process check i think at this point we should keep to technical questions which we are but once we've exhausted those let's go for public comment and then come back and kind of discuss more if we think any changes need to be made to the budget cool so anybody else have any you know technical specific kind of questions I did want to ask about the budget for supplies and subscriptions. Mm-hmm. Is can you clarify like supplies? Is that more equipment or is it like consumables that get used during the process of using the existing equipment? Yeah, we weren't intending to to purchase any more equipment this year, um, but yeah, the consumables like you know some of the equipment we mount it to. Um, a sign for a for a street sign and mm-hmm. you need you know straps to do that or yeah okay do you feel like the need there's still a need for more equipment like as this goes out to other neighborhoods I just felt like we were kind of hit hitting a um like you know we discussed whether we can even allow equipment to stay in place prior to construction and sound like there just wasn't enough equipment to make uh, that easy. I, so. I would say specifically the speed feedback signs mm-hmm. are very, they're in high demand. Um, I guess there's potential we, we could use more of those, but the other equipment we have, I would say, is probably underutilized. Okay. So. Could you remind me of the cost of those speed feedback I know that we talked about it during the uh, Old West Lawrence project, but I can't remember how much that was. I looked back at that the other day to, and what do you think, 15,000? I forget what it was. It's definitely in the thousands, but. I I believe it's in the the three to $5,000. Oh, not that much. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
Um, but and then they do have an ongoing uh, data fee of I think it's around a thousand dollars a year per per sign. Mm -hmm. I had a question about that line item as well. So it, it I assume that being around twenty there's there must be a lot of uh, software subscriptions or data collection subscriptions. So is is that kind of a non negotiable line item every year? For the most part, do we expect that to fluctuate? Yeah, I think this year the the total fees were around twenty two thousand, um, and yeah, it's kind of if we want to keep using the equipment, we we kind of have to maintain that mm -hmm. uh, sub subscription to to keep access to the, our historic data. Okay, kind of one of those things where they. So of the of the twenty five thousand, then it sounds like most of it is the sub subscription fee. Software. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was curious if we don't end up needing the contingency, just in case we get real lucky. Um, what happens to that money? D does it roll over to twenty twenty four, or can it be reallocated kind of in real time? Or I I I think either is an option. Okay, that's good to know that it rolls over. I wasn't sure if that was yeah. Possible. It would it would definitely roll over if okay. we didn't. Spend it on something else this year. Yes, yeah, we don't. News. We don't lose it if we don't spend it. Okay. Um, how many yard signs does five thousand dollars get you? And about how many have have been distributed already? Let's see. I believe if you don't have exact numbers, that's okay. <laughs> I, I think we distributed uh, twelve hundred in twenty twenty one, and I I think um, we ended up. Around seven dollars and fifty cents a piece. So, okay, yeah, five thousand would get us the several hundred more. Okay, cool. Um, could you remind me what affects the total NTMP budget is each year? Like it's three hundred thousand dollars here. How is that decided? Is that during CIP discussions, or um, is that just what it was set at and it's going to be that way? <clears throat> Um, well, it's it's not in the CIP. It's it it's in the operations budget. Okay, so, um, that makes sense. And I guess that was the number that I've always worked with. I'm not sure, Dave, how how we got to that number from the beginning because I think those conversations were before my time. Yeah, I, it's always been close to 300. It may have started at 250. Yeah, um, or 200 maybe early on. Um, but that was that was about when we were doing the traffic calming projects. We had the long list. That was about the budget was in that two to three hundred thousand dollar range. Okay. So that's what we've asked for in our operating budget. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess say you wanted to increase it, or you, maybe in the other direction, say you find that you don't have enough staff resources to keep up with the pace that we're going. Would you just ask city commission during budget season, like, hey, we think that this should be three fifty this year? Is that how that usually goes? Yeah, we would make a an adjustment in our in our recommended budget for that. So I think the 300 has been kind of a you know as we've had this program roll. I mean, we haven't had years where we haven't you know. It's not like we need a whole bunch more money or we yeah. don't need less. So far, it's fit pretty well, so I don't think we're, we're going to change it. Um, obviously, the Old West Lawrence installation is an expensive project, and so if we wanted to do that all in one year, it would be nice. But, um, you know, we, we've uh, 
got limited staff resources to be able to run this program as it is right now and Dustin's got other projects that are not traffic calling projects that he's running so um, yeah that's yeah, historically it's, it's been a, a, about that much and that's kind of what I was gonna ask is is this a dollar limited or a staff bandwidth limit like if you had an extra fifty thousand dollars could you even use it or we would just bump up some some construction schedule and would it be more helpful to get more people working on the project right yeah it's hard to say I mean we could uh, obviously we can outsource some of this work some of the work with the education campaign we hired a, a firm to do that um, so it's but um, we would like to have more dedicated staff and resources to you know helping run the program as well we mm -hmm. spend a lot of resources and time on the old west lawrence project yeah um, and it was all time well spent at the end but it just um yeah some of that work takes staff capacity and time so um you know i think if as we move forward if we see costs going up we may need to um, seek increase in the program budget in the future. That's certainly possible. Um, so I guess just as a thought experiment here. So Dustin, you spent a good portion of 2022 and I think 2021 also working on Old West Lawrence, right? So your time was, at least on this project, was heavily booked there. Now that that's moving on into, you know, consultant design and eventual construction, Presumably, there's going to be a little bit of you know checks on the design deliverables and construction supervision stuff like that. But would you say that your time is is less of a demand at this point? That if this was the only project in the world, it, you could start focusing on the next neighborhood, for example. Um, and I guess if not, is there a possibility to maybe start outsourcing some of that to a consultant, for example? Because I. I guess where I'm coming from, I see this kind of like the uh, sidewalks issue. There's so many sidewalks, and it seems like for that, money would solve it, right? If we just had a bazillion dollars, we could fix all of it right now, just contract it out. This is more nuanced and really does need people thinking about it and on it. So, I mean, if there was more money to program, could we move faster and start plowing through neighborhoods a little bit quicker? Um, and then, I don't know, just make more efficient use of your time by having consultants help with more of the neighborhood meetings and engagement stuff. I'm just kind of spitballing here, but I think kind of echoing what what Dave just said. I think there there's potential to to do that, but probably not this year. Yeah, you know, is that because of 23rd Street for the most part? <laughs> That's a big That's one. One probably. of them. Yeah. One of them. Mm -hmm. okay. I'd, I'd like honestly, I'd like to hear more from neighborhoods before we just keep plowing forward yeah that's good and what gets lost a lot is the community-wide efforts like the lowering the speed limit the education work and you know we wanted to go away from the one street or one you know two or three block at a time approach to a broader perspective and I it took us a few years so I, I want to hear from other neighborhoods like is this the right approach for our community um, I, I appreciated one of the commissioners on the uh, city commission meeting I don't know if it was last week week before took this dollar amount and compared it to the cost of a um, traffic light mm. and it's the point was it was economical 
yeah. to do this. But I also think we got to keep examining whether this is the right approach to trying to improve safety in our neighborhoods. And I feel like what gets a little lost is the Safe Routes to School project has a, kind of a similar goal, trying to improve safety in neighborhoods, um, just because we have neighborhood-based schools. And so it kind of has that shared goal, yet that gets a little bit lost in our discussions about neighborhood ma uh, traffic management. Yeah. So I'm still kind of looking for, have we hit the right sweet spot? Or is there is there something else um, that might even get us to doing it faster like you're, I think you're hoping for? Yeah, uh, I think before. One neighborhood at a time is gonna be how many years? Like 40 some years, how many neighborhoods, right? So that So yeah, you can lower the speed limits, but then you gotta deal with, you know, you need law enforcement to back that up. I was looking at our crime data that police publishes to a national website, communitycrimemap.com. It's on their, they referenced it on their, um, the city website. And there was only eight speeding tickets in the last five years. So I'm curious, like, is the data wrong that they're feeding into this system? Or does the police department literally just not give out speeding tickets? Which explains like why you're having to pay them to go out there and do enforcement. And I, and I'm not saying like law enforcement is the approach that we need to embrace, but um, I just want us to be careful that we don't we don't just go from you know how many years did we have the traffic calming project list, mm -hmm. and it was the same problem. Like you can see the backlog of work, and are you really changing things really? Um, is this going to be a backlog of neighborhoods queuing up for their turn, and we're looking at 40 years of work? And uh, I don't know. So I'm still kind of looking. What is those? What are those broader system-wide interventions that might really help increase safety inside our residential neighborhoods? Because that's what's distinct about this. I think is it's helping people to feel like where they're where they, you know, sleep and play and all that, that that's safe for them. And it's tough when you got so many different users on our roads, especially, you know, the big vehicles and you know, little kids with bikes and parents trying to teach them yeah. how to ride, you know. So, <clears throat> and there's not, you know, you can't have trails everywhere. So we do have to learn how to share the road. Safely. I mean, in that context, I'd take a speed hump any day over like more enforcement because mm -hmm. you're physically altering the road to where you literally can't speed over it without, you know, like wrecking your ride. So I think focusing more on geometric improvements is a better use. The, our history of that, that, you know, like looking at engineering as the solution, it's very expensive. Yeah. And we've, we had a long list of of streets that met the warrants to have traffic calming, and it wasn't budgeted. Like, the city commission wouldn't put money toward that. So now there's, conceivably, we have a budget, and we're trying to think more broadly, and we're still, it's still kind of traffic calming, but it's it's looked at it, not just, um, you know, the result of, you know, one person who got a few neighbors to say, hey, this is a problem, let's go to the city, now let's get our street on the map, or on the list. 
So it, it feels like it's an improvement, but it still has the same challenge of there's never enough resources to fully address it. And the five E's, that idea that you, know, you have to tackle this problem with multiple <coughs> approaches is where enforcement gets acknowledged. Um, but I think you also, everyone acknowledges like enforcement has really some serious limitations. Um, so just to make sure, it sounds like we're, we're generally done with technical questions, I think, right? I think Unless so. there's anything missing. Shall we go to pu public comment for a, <coughs> a few minutes and then come back up? Sure. All right. Is there anybody in the, in the online universe who wants to make a public comment on this item? I'm on the screen here. Nope. Okay. Hey, Kurt, my screen just went black. Can, can you turn it back on, please? <laughs> I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> um, okay. So I wanted to first acknowledge your, your um, idea that it would make more sense to en engage with the neighborhoods first, especially because when the initial application went out for who wants to be a part of this, two applied, one got in. It took a while. There's a learning process. Um, it... it it definitely does not make sense to charge ahead, get more funding, go full bore, until we know that this is something that neighborhoods want and understand. So yeah, I was basically just trying to see what the technicalities were about it. So I'm glad I know now. Um, but I also do think that I don't want to touch that until we know more about where we go from here. So um, I also was curious about the Safe Streets for All grant. You kind of explained it a little bit in that it's probably going to be more for arterials, and this is more for neighborhood roads. but maybe we can get KDOT data that would help us prioritize neighborhoods for traffic calming. So I can see the connection there. Was there any other option for where this could have come from? Obviously, it has to come from the city in some way, shape, or form. But I guess, where else was that grant match going to potentially come from, just out of curiosity? I mean, it's only $10,000. So it's not a make or break thing, obviously. But I'm not sure I was in the application <laughs> process, but I'm, I'm yeah, we. I don't know if we necessarily planned for it ahead of time where it was going to come from. It just it made sense to take it out of this program because we're going to be using some of the da data and the Vision Zero Safety Action Plan, um, kind of tie into some of our work with neighborhood traffic management programs. So that's why we use this as a funding source. I also, I think, okay. just. I, I recall, Jessica, if I'm wrong on this, correct me, please, but that there's just the, tr the kind of national conversations about safety and transportation is moving a little bit away from the 5Es mm -hmm. toward this Vision Zero. And so, you know, maybe there's some utility to us understanding Vision Zero and how that intersects with neighborhood traffic safety. What does Vision Zero do instead of 5Es? I don't know yet. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> I just remember Jessica gave us yeah, kind she, of a heads up that things might be, okay. you know, yeah. the literature is starting to shift on this. What, like it's a more engineering, for example? Is that yeah. what you're going to well, say? Well, yeah, I just Maybe I so. just looked it up because I remember Jessica saying that and I'd kind of forgotten <laughs> what that was. And it's, you know, it's a less of an emphasis on enforcement and education and more on systems, you know, it's not to, systems. and it says not to, not to say that, you know, people shouldn't behave properly and follow the rules, but mm -hmm. that um, it really the you know, really de designing the system so that it re you know 
encourages safe behavior, designing the roads and vehicles, set the okay. speeds, that kind of thing. So like engineering, but also like overarching laws and policies that we may not have thought of that, you know, maybe like allowing street trees to be closer to the street or something, mm -hmm. right? Or like yeah, right, redu or right. reducing yeah, the, the design, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, road diets and the, all those kinds of things. Or having mixed use development such that people don't even need to drive to begin with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this isn't even gonna be in our bailiwick, so. I think some cities have even gone as far as charging property tax on a scale um, related to vehicle weight. So if you have a heavier vehicle, you are paying more. DC? Yeah, yeah. So DC did that, I think the most radical way, but they only, it, it's like it only really gets gnarly once you're about like 7,000 pounds or something, which is huge. Um, not that huge anymore, I guess. Yeah. That's kind of an aside. Actually, I'll bring that up later, but I'm glad you reminded me. I wasn't going to uh, try to remember the, the, all the, there's five systems that they talked about with the Vision Zero oh. and so it's safe user safe road users safe vehicles safe speeds safe safe roads and then uh they call post crash care which is like you know improving your emergency response times interesting yeah hmm. safe uh, vehicles sounds interesting that's and i did uh see a presentation about um uh, i guess it's the pedestrian crash prevention i believe is the the tech technology they're talking about of detecting pedestrians crossing in front of you and you know automatically stopping the vehicle and yeah that technology seems to be really improving year over year so that sounds like a Subaru commercial I'm pretty <laughs> sure I've seen that somewhere <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's the car the that stops part. itself okay um, well, you've definitely answered all my questions. I've learned, learned a lot here. I, I feel comfortable um, with the budget as it stands. Does anybody have any proposed changes based on what we've talked about, or do you think we're getting towards a motion? What do you think? I, I, I like the but I'm looking forward to the changes at, in Old West Lawrence. Um, I know that it's going to cause at least some reaction, and hopefully that's good. So I'd be happy to <laughs> do the motion if nobody else has anything. Yeah, I think we're good. Yeah. I move to approve the 2023 Neighborhood Traffic Management Program budget. And I would second that motion. So that was a motion by Commissioner Reza, a second by Commissioner Kuzmiak. All in favor, raise your hands. All right, that's unanimous. Thank you, Dustin, for all the info and for standing for all of those all over the place questions. Thank you. <laughs> okay, next item, consider appointing a member to the proposed steering committee for the Lawrence Loop. KRC, which I think is Caw River Commons, right? 7th Street to Constant Park, off a numeric project. <laughs> this is the, the latest chapter in something that we've been looking at for years now, right? That is correct. Uh, Jake Baldwin, Engineering Program Manager with MSO. Um, Good evening. Yeah, we're just here to um, get an appointment to a proposed steering committee for this project, uh, Lawrence Loop, um, 7th Street to Constant Park. Um, this is going to be a, a high level of community engagement, collaborative level uh, with the community to really drive the direction of this project. So that's what the steering committee is going to be doing, playing a heavy role in driving the decision making there through the concept design. Um, we uh, anticipate bringing the scope of services and contract for community engagement and concept design to the city commission in june and at, at the same time and with that same item we would bring the proposed steering committee so 
that's really a summary of this item. I'd be happy to entertain questions you've got on that. Cool. Um, Ryan, I don't know if you're familiar with this particular project or if you've seen this in the news. I, I think the genesis of this was before you joined the commission, but it's um, originally this started as a couple of private citizens kind of envisioning what it would look like to connect the probably the most difficult part of the Lawrence Loop from East Lawrence to Constant Park. Right. And all sorts of crazy renderings, bridges, ramps, stuff like that. Eventually, the city got into the CIP and it's been somewhat funded, right? I mean, at least enough to look for grant money and initial design, I think. But at this point, we're really only talking about the very basic part of connecting the, the Lawrence Loop. So all of the other extraneous things like tunnels under 6th Street, bridges across the river, that's not really in scope just yet, right? It's really just how do we get across that madhouse of 6th Vermont, Massachusetts. So, yep. Um, and recently, a consultant is was selected, but not under contract yet. So we're still kind of preparing the way for how this is all, all going to go down and get as much public comment as we can. So, um, Jake, what other um, groups are re represented on the steering committee? Do we know yet, or is that up to somebody else? It's in draft form, but it's you know, the neighborhoods, the local advocacy groups that you would expect to be on there. OK. Um, I'm trying to think of that would be like Sustainability Action Network or FLAT or? Yeah, I know I've got FLAT on the list FLAT. so far. I don't have the list memorized. That's OK. Just curious. I wasn't sure if this is going to be like a seven-member thing or like a 25-member one like the Downtown Master Plan Committee was, which was I'll, huge. <laughs> I want to say we've got 10-plus on it right now, but that really is the discretion of the city commission. OK. So um, is anybody particularly interested in this project? It's. Um, it's an interesting combo between public outreach and engineering, and it's a very uh, visible project, I would say. So, I live in the area, but I will say there are more bikers on this commission than I, so <laughs> I figured I'd give them the first crack at it, but I'd be happy to do it. Well, this is really, I mean, the loop is really not just biking. I mean, That's it's true. All mo I mean, but not all modes, but pedestrians and people, you know. And the occasional walk, roll, wheel. and bike, you know, <laughs> so it's really... And this is a, being downtown, I, it, I think it's a really critical piece to it. Certainly, like you said, Nick, a more difficult piece of it. Probably the most difficult piece, right? Mm -hmm. Although in terms of easements, it's, it's easier than some of the other parts. So it yeah. could be trickier. Um, I'm going to have to recuse myself from this one because my um, current employer, I think, is part of these talks. So. I should probably not be on the steering, steering committee for a project that involves my employer. So. Mm -hmm. Do we know the duration of the uh, steering committee? Um, we don't know the exact details of that yet. Or the consultant will help develop the community engagement plan. But I expect to last two to three months, uh, maybe three to four meetings, uh, maybe a total commitment of eight to ten hours. It depends really uh, on how that community development or community engagement plan gets developed. I'd be happy to do it. Great. Uh, right. It shouldn't. Doesn't sound like too too much of a time commitment, but so. and it's over fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Two two three months isn't bad. Which is good because some of these do drag on for years. So, <laughs> like, downtown master plan took two years, I think. Oof. That was a long one. So, um, okay. Well, in that case, I would motion that we nominate Commissioner Reza as the MMTC representative on the KRC Project Steering Committee. Okay, second. All right, uh, first by Commissioner Kuzmiak, second by Commissioner Collette. All in favor, raise their hands. All right. I feel like this is easier than saying aye. Um, this is, <laughs> does kind of get lost in the shuffle, so <laughs> at least I can visually confirm this. Thank you, Jake. That brings us to staff items. 
Anything of interest? No staff items to report. That's a quiet month. All right. Let's bring it up to commission items. So, Commissioner Baltuska, do you have any updates? Uh, the Climate Action Plan Steering Committee hadn't met again since last, so no updates at this time. They're still drafting. Okay. Um, They're going public in July. Um, okay. For the first sort of public engagement effort. All right. I look forward to seeing what the, what's on there. <laughs> as far as Land Development Code Steering Committee, um, I don't think there's been a meeting since last time. I did check in with Planning and Development to see what's going on with the um, meeting in a box, which is still under development by the consultant. I think we're about three weeks behind, so hopefully that'll be out soon. Um, if we do end up having a kind of a hole in our study session calendar, then that might be an interesting one for us to go through just to kind of see how transportation-focused people um, approach that. But otherwise, I'll probably let you all know if you don't find out yourself when the meeting in the box is available. I had uh, two other relatively quick commission items. Actually, I guess three. Um, all right, um, I'm gonna try to go through them relatively quick. The first one was there was a public comment that came in through email. Um, it didn't make it into the agenda because maybe they'd never sent it to the actual agenda email address, but it was um, a concern over one of the proposed speed cushions in the owl traffic calming scheme. Um, I forget exactly what the concern was, but something about like, it seems like it might be unsafe. Um, as far as we can tell, the consultant didn't find any particular safety issues with it. MSO staff didn't find any safety issues with it. And the owl traffic committee didn't seem to say one way or another. So it seems like it's all good, except for maybe this one issue. So I'll be curious to see what your thoughts are. That, uh, I guess what, what you just stated is correct. That with, you know, our traffic engineering consultant reviewed it, we reviewed it, and it seems to be appropriately placed and uh, kind of warranted, if you will. Um, I think on uh, Main Street, uh, there's existing speed humps in the mid block of the 700 block and 800 block. But then at the intersection of 8th and Main, uh, Main Street doesn't stop. And so you've got, you know, approximately 600 feet in between the existing speed humps where, you know, a typical spacing would be closer to 300. So that, that was kind of the impetus for uh, putting another one near the intersection. But, you know, guidance recommends not at the intersection, obviously. So, yeah. That'd be interesting to see a uh, <laughs> like a, a diagonal speed hump through an intersection. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure that's way against MUTCD. <laughs> yeah. We've had a request for one of those. Really? <laughs> um, okay. The other thing I just wanted to briefly bring up, um, Damon, you brought up something about vehicle registration or property tax based on by weight. So property tax is the purview of the state here, but vehicle registration is purview of the county. I did reach out to Commissioner Kelly just to kind of let him know that other places are making moves on this, and it's not in our jurisdiction, but could he look into it? Like, do, do you guys want any input on this stuff? I think he is looking into it, but I haven't really gotten too much feedback yet, so eh. um, unfortunately, the county's kind of isolated, I guess, so can't really do much there, but I do think once Vision Zero comes up, we may have a better foot to stand on with, like, data that actually shows that it's important, so... This is not the last you'll hear of it. 
Then there's the issue on, I just wanted to bring up the idea of sound cameras. For those of you who I haven't spouted off on this before, it's basically like speed cameras, but they detect noise and basically aim a camera in the direction, mm -hmm. snap a picture of your license plate, send you a citation. Um, they're used in, in large cities for the most part. They're relatively new, but they're like $25,000 to pop, so like cheaper than you think with how space age it sounds. Um, reason I think it would be of interest is because it's really, really hard to enforce our existing noise nuisance law, even though it is on the books, but like, I'm sure there's probably even very, very few citations issued for it. But now that Mass Street is kind of open to alfresco dining and drinking and buying, all of a sudden it's kind of a thing that people are outside on the regular. So it seems to make sense to maybe consider that our public investment you know, can be kind of sullied by really, really loud bikes and trucks and cars and everything. Um, especially because we do have an ordinance on the books, so it's up to us to enforce it. The, that being said, I have run into the issue where um, uh, enforcement of moving violations by camera is banned by state law, as it is in a lot of conservative-leaning states. Um, but this isn't a moving violation, it's a nuisance violation. So I kind of wonder if there's a loophole there that hasn't been exploited in the past. I've tried to reach out to Maria Garcia, have not heard back, so I was wondering if you guys had a good contact I could talk to in legal just to explore, like, is this even worth discussing, or am I not reading this loophole very well? So I'd be curious what your, if you have a good contact there. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, it would just need to be referred to the city attorney's office. So okay. if it was something that the board was interested in learning more about, um, we could get an opinion from them. I'm not yeah. uh, educated enough on it to speak to it. I think it's so n new that it would really require some best judgment on their part. Um, there's not really a lot of precedent in Kansas that I'm aware of, so. Okay. I think, um, yeah. sorry. That's all right, go for it. I, <clears throat> I think if the, the rest of the board um, is interested, I, um, interestingly enough, folks who, uh, who I know are on mass frequently frequently complain about these mm. about the no, about the noise and obviously um, I inform them that there is an ordinance against it it's not just me um, but I think if obviously 25,000 is a high number for cameras I think if we were able to do a stu study session on it um, in the future and at least learn more I'd be interested in that um, it's something that I think this that directly impacts this commission, and also something that we could probably improve the quality of life of our downtown at least right. on it. I mean, I was walking here and I heard a quite loud engine as I was crossing the street. So you know, um, it's a very particular issue that I think would actually impact a lot of folks downtown. And and we would probably find allies in in traditional quarters where we would not have allies necessarily. No, I, I agree. <laughs> um, I do want to make one thing clear, though, just you know, because this is all on the record. I feel like there there is an equity component to this because a car can be allowed by choice mm -hmm. or by lack of care due to lack of funds or time. What I would propose is something kind of like, if you have a car that's super loud and it's your, you know, you plan this, you got to pay a fine. If you if you just literally can't afford a muffler, but due to the way our country is laid out, you can't get to work any other way, you don't have to pay a fine. That from the plus side can maybe be transferred to the negative side, you get a new muffler, you know, here's a, here's a gift certificate to Midas or something. So that would be my proposal to try to try to fix some of the equity implications of this. Absolutely, yeah. Because I mean, I hear a lot of people going by like, yeah, they didn't plan on having a bad muffler, so. Right. Um, having been there myself. <laughs> so anyway, um, do we need to have a vote so I can write to the city attorney or 
just kind of a tacit approval? No, you can just funnel your questions through me or directly to them. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. I'll just uh, CC you in an email to them. That's it for me. Anybody else have commission items? <clears throat> I just wanted to point out that the uh, transit uh, system has a has published their first quarter evaluation of the fare free transit program. There was a draft of that report that was presented to PTAC, and I watched that meeting. Um, subsequently, I sent an email to the transit director and asked some follow-up questions. And they're not. There's nothing in the final report that indicates that my questions were answered. But I, what I found interesting in the presentation to PTAC was uh, just a comment about the transportation disadvantaged area, and it sparked my interest in understanding, like the extent that transit serves that area, and then how ridership has changed since it's been fare free. Assuming that the trans transportation disadvantaged area um, would be a part of our community that might have a greater proclivity to use transit, I guess I'd be curious, like, is that in fact the case? And um, how can we understand, like, that particular area of town, how, how well they engage with the transit system? And if... Hmm fares were ever a barrier, I guess I would imagine there would be an increase in use. Um, but there were some, kind of some performance metrics that were tied to that idea of transit service in that area. And I would really appreciate a chance for, the, for that kind of discussion in a study session. Um, so I just throw that out there and then let you guys know that was just published on Friday, so. If you're interested in understanding more about fare free transit pilot, just the thing to point out is this is a pilot, so it doesn't mean we're going to keep it. It just means we're going to be looking at you know how well is it working, and uh, hopefully it's something that we you know we learn it works and that it benefits our community and there's support to keep it going. So. Mm. Okay. Well, we have the we have the fare free transit as a potential study session so. on the study. <clears throat> work plan so yeah um, we could seems like that would be a, a good <clears throat> good topic I mean we're almost halfway into the year and I guess that's you know what I, th I think there's, there's going to be a regular reporting about how it's going so I'm mm -hmm. just suggesting we kind of keep paying attention and then hopefully we'll get a study session on it as well all right. And that, and related to that, but not exactly, <clears throat> the commission or the committee on committees. <laughs> oh yeah, what's um, going on with that? I think they're supposed to be doing a public engagement as their next step, hmm. and they have um, kind of indicated the connected cities committee would combine the Public Transit Advisory Committee, Multimodal uh, Transportation Committee, and the Aviation uh, Advisory, Board. Advisory Board. Makes sense. They're all transportation related. Yeah. Um, it's all about 
making it, you know, our city more connected both internally and even externally. So that's, I think they're supposed to issue a report in sometime in the next month. And I don't know how quickly the commission will make any changes, but that's kind of a prelude to likely some structural changes to advisory boards, including ours. Yeah, should be interesting. Okay. Maybe if we have time next month for our study session next month, we could look into that preliminary finding or do some homework. I'd be happy to look into it before next month and then maybe have like a quick conversation on it. For the committee on committees? Um, well, that and then also the pe the the presentation that was given from Pete. Uh, my my sense is, you know, we've when we were established, the recommendation that preceded establishing this commission came out of a bike ped task force mm -hmm. that specifically did not have a scope including transit, and so the recommendation was was uh, I would say intentionally didn't it although it said multimodal it didn't um go that far to make the case that ptac should be folded into this new thing um mostly because the scope was around pedestrian and bicycling right um but i think at the time uh one of the city commissioners had kind of called us out because i was on that task force and she wanted to know why why wasn't transit kind of in the crosshairs and we, you know, that was our response. It just wasn't in the scope of our task force. So, you know, we're gonna stick with the scope. Yeah. And of course, it's the city commission's purview to decide what to do with our recommendations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so here we are a few years later, and I think the writing seems more on the wall now than ever that fewer committees that have a broader scope is what is gonna serve the community and the city commission better. Yeah. And I think part of the discussion uh, with PTAC was that it was very much an operational advisory committee, so you know, not so much policy. Well, I mean, policy too, but they're very much hands-on in terms of route design and all of that mm -hmm. kind of stuff at the beginning. Uh, and I don't know that that's necessarily the case now, but I remember that kind of being that it didn't quite fit the. Multimodal Transportation Commission model, I guess, in terms of you know higher level, um, but you know that's that's probably not the case now. Uh huh. Good info. All right. Any other commission items? If not, let's go on to the calendar. So. Uh, I think talking about PTAC was a good segue into something that could probably be a upcoming study session. I think there's a couple of transit-related things. There's the, the progress on the bus transfer center. There's the fare-free pilot. Um, if there's any update on what happened after the route redesign, and I don't know what's going on with the downtown transfer center location. If that's being studied yet, if that's even started, or what's going on. So, um, I guess. Dave, if possible, if you could reach out to Adam and see what his availability is, um, maybe we can s spot him in the next couple of months or so. Doesn't necessarily have to be May or June, but soon-ish. Can do. Cool. Um, I think it would be really good to do a year turn session with neighborhoods. I think maybe the easiest way to do that would be to just reach out to LAN and say, hey, can you guys send as many representatives of neighborhoods as you can to our next study session, and we can just 
talk candidly about NTMP? Would that be? I mean, it's pretty freeform, but it's also a lot lower effort by by me, which I'm kind of <laughs> looking to lower my effort right now. Um, what do you all think? Do you want that for June or for July? Mm, either really. I think if we do it in July, we'll give them the opportunity to round up the good idea. the forces. And, and in the in the past, with the I've only participated in one uh, year turn session, but weren't there like three or four questions yeah. that you know kind of helped them talk about the and you know if we didn't do it until July, that would give them the chance in their meeting to discuss it yeah. before sending a representative to the meeting. So we would need to just do some questions then. Um, what I suggest, maybe between now and the June meeting, I mean, I can reach out to Lane in the meantime and say, like, just, just so you know, I think mm -hmm. July is what we're going to aim for. In the meantime, maybe we can each come up with a question or two that we think would be important to ask them of their opinion of NTMP and just neighborhood traffic in general, and maybe make it an agenda item, because we would definitely need to have this as a meeting to discuss which questions we want to go forward with and then say like, all right, here's what we're going to send to land. Here's our three. They take some wordsmithing on the spot, but um, do we have enough? It looks like we have spot in the June meeting to do that, right? You're thinking we just, so we have, we schedule time for us to discuss what those questions might be. Yeah. Okay. Rather than one person coming up with it, if we can all contribute to it, I think it'd make, you know, it not a big job for one person, so that would be cool. So if we're cool with that, yeah, that's that's your homework. Um, Dave, would you mind if I sent a email to the group saying, don't reply, but here's what I would like for the next meeting, or would you rather that go through you? For getting questions from board members? Yeah. Um, probably send it to me, and I'll send it out and ask everyone to reply back individually okay so that would be on our regular agenda i think so yeah all right especially if we end up yeah, getting adam for the study session if we can't get adam we'll, we'll try to think of an, another june mm. study session um ideally the meeting in the box for the land development code update will be done by then so that's something that we could go through as well just kind of throwing it out there it really should have been done by now um I don't know what else is a potential study session. So if, if we don't have any, if, you know, meeting the box isn't ready, if Adam's not available, we'll just cut the study session for June. That should be fine. No need to force it. All right, one sec. So, yeah, I think that's it. Anything else before we adjourn? All right. well, I'll just say for the June meeting, we ha we're going to have the Lawrence Loop. Santa Fe Depot to A Street field check plans. Um, we're going to ask for appointment to Safe Streets for All subcommittee, and then we're working on the Safe Browse to School plan amendment with the boundary changes oh, yeah. and the effects of that. So that's uh, we're actively working on that. A lot of changes. Yeah. So we'll have that to present uh, in June. Okay. Yeah, I think that plus talking about your turn should be a pretty decent agenda. I don't, think, I don't think any of this should drag on too long. Hopefully. So. Okay. Well, in that case, um, let's adjourn. So thank you everybody for, for showing up and see you next month. Thank you. Adjourn. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Out. Leave.